to Dad Bod History, the latest episode. We're going to talk about um, 2020 and um, comparing that to other years in history, not only 2020, but specifically this week in history. Joining us as always is Eric and Jake. My name is Cameron. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share with your friends. So gentlemen, tell me what's, uh, what's been up? How was everybody's Christmas? Christmas was uh, good. As you guys know, I moved uh, recently, a couple weeks ago. So our home is basically an, an assortment of uh, boxes in various stages of unpacking. But um, we had a good Christmas. I mean, it was small. It was just did, me and did that my wife wall, and our kids. Because people need to understand that's a new wall behind Jake, or it's new to you. Did it come in that color green? It did. It's half no, the reason I no, bought this it, no. house. <laughs> okay. That I would believe. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you take it to like Home Depot and be like, can you tell me if this is Packer green? They're like, it is. <laughs> no, yeah, there's, no. There's yellow wainscoting at the bottom. You just can't see it. <laughs> yeah, it's there. It's really nice. Bree hates this room for some reason. Wainscoting. Yeah. Who thought we'd Wains use that word? Well, this is, a fancy, this is a fancy podcast. Mm, um, indeed. So yeah, we're still unpacking, but we had a good Christmas. It was just me and, and my wife and then our two kids, um, you know, and, and we did some Skype calls with, with family and um, over the weekend. But, but that was, that was, but it, before we move on, it's great that you bring up the paint color of this room, Eric. And because we're in another, all the rooms, especially in the upstairs of this house are, are painted. Um, and, and the living room is painted this, I think it's more blue. My wife thinks it's more green. So I guess it's blue oh, green. Is it one of those but, things where you're going to take a picture and ask everyone on Facebook and yeah, it's we trick. split it's down the middle illusion. based on whose eyes are messed up? But, but we're sitting there in the, in the living room today and talking about the paint colors and like, would we paint this or, or you know, kind of touch up certain rooms. Um, and Lanks and my daughter is sitting next to us and listening to us and before i tell you what she said mommy daddy stop fighting yeah no, she, she, she got so sad um <laughs> she told us or before i tell you what she told us she um she often will when talking will kind of go into a, a high-pitched kind of baby voice sometimes when she's talking to us and i always tell her don't talk like a baby talk like a, a big girl and um and so she, and which she does, so she'll stop talking this high voice and talk in a lower register. So we're talking about the paint colors and if we want to change the paint in the living room and she goes, we gonna paint this house. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere. And I just start cracking up and Bree's like, what's she saying? She just said, we gonna paint this house. <laughs> like, she wanted to use her big girl voice 
to be involved in the adult conversation. And it was <laughs> hysterical. I laughed for 15 minutes. My wife's like, you guys have a weird sense of humor, but I thought it was awesome. It was one of the hottest moments as a father. I'm sure Jake has asked you to use your big girl voice too, Cameron. I mean, I've heard <laughs> oh, yeah. that a few times myself. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So. Cool. Eric, what, uh, what, how'd your Christmas go? I mean, we stayed put. Um, we actually, uh, my wife did a really good job of, uh, what was it? Christmas Eve Eve. We made sure that there was like, we didn't get into like a routine of just sitting around and doing the same things every day. So Christmas Eve Eve, we had some extra things to do. We did some, we drove around, got some hot cocoa and saw a bunch of Christmas lights around town. And Christmas Eve, we made sure we took some time to do just some special items around the house. I did take uh, my two older kids to church, um, <clears throat> like a 2, a 2 p.m. service. Um, and it's probably been the first time since February that we've been physically in person to church. Uh, and then we had, we ordered out for Christmas Eve. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> mm -mm. So anyways, we had a, this be a great episode. We're, glad we're, we're gonna do real good things. We're definitely gonna oh, get, you might wanna don't worry. Cameron, he'll fix that. He's that gonna edit gonna that. Stay. But your stuff, nope, we don't fix that. Oh my gosh. Anyways, so we ordered out, got Italian food. Man. Um and did some of the gifts uh that night and then then did Christmas morning. We did uh, a bunch of Zoom calls with my family um, <clears throat> or FaceTime calls those days uh, while we were opening presents, which got to be kind of like, you know, we were trying to do what we've done in the past where you kind of take turns opening presents, but we were doing it over FaceTime. So it was just kind of like, you know, you got kids screaming. And it's like, what did grandma open? And, uh, but it was fun. <clears throat> kids got a ton of stuff and, and that was, that was a ton of fun. So we've lost a few items already. So <laughs> my, my son, uh, he got a remote control helicopter. It's a little, little helicopter, right? And so we go out back, we get battery. And I had to go out and get batteries the next day because we ran out at home and we get it going. He gets, gets a thing up above 20 feet. I'm like, dude, bring it down, bring it down. And of course we can't get it to move forward the way we want it to. And it goes over a neighbor's house into another yard. And he's just distraught and I'm all irritated and but but we've had fun I mean um we got some bunch of things to work on together puzzles and Legos and that kind of stuff so it's been fun I am proud to admit um that I did not stay up till 4 a.m on Christmas Eve the kids did not come into our room at 5 30 a.m on Christmas morning and we actually got some sleep and the secret to it is to wait until the last second to order everything on Amazon. Like we were as, as poorly prepared for Christmas this year as we have ever been. And it might've been our best Christmas yet. Um, just kind of ordered things last second. Um, the, the kid's biggest gift hasn't even come in yet. So they're nice. still kind of anticipating that as their big gift. So we've kind of stretched out Christmas. We've just been doing um, a lot of hikes this week, 
we're getting ready to um, go up into the mountains and you know go play in the snow in a couple of days so it's been kind of a sustained Christmas as opposed to just everything happening on that morning so um, that's pretty cool I, I like our, our kids are pretty simple and and didn't get a lot of stuff but um, it, it was a really really good Christmas I got to watch like three quarters of a basketball game so that's a miracle um, so yeah real solid Christmas I think that's good man all right well anything else guys anything other uh, stories from the dad front before we move into our topic yeah I got, I got one okay so this morning or, or this evening at dinner um, so my kids are 11, eight and three and the two younger ones are girls and they're best buddies and, you know, generally get along, um, you know, when they're not fighting, they have a lot in common. Um, but we spent the better part of the dinner convincing our three-year-old that ants on a log are good to eat. Uh -huh. So it was just kind of a thrown together dinner ants on a log was kind of a side dish and she had never had ants on a log. So, you know, the best way it's, it's hard to, to, to figure out where one girl's personality and likes start and the other one ends. Um, so we just told the baby that, Oh, big sister likes ants on a log. And we were just laying it on thick, like every little thing. Oh, mm -hmm. you need to do this. And, you know, look at the crunch of it. And, oh, I just ate an ant. And it just ended up being really entertaining um, because she finally caved and said, oh, I love them. Just because That's awesome. So it took us a long time to convince her, but she, she got them down. I remember when I was a kid and I loved ants on a log. For some, I, I just, I thought they were like the greatest snack that a person could have. Um, I've only did recently not... realized that. You did? Yeah, hmm. within the past couple of years. So good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're pretty much crowd pleasers, except for my three-year-old, apparently. But they're well. But now she loves them, right? That's what you right? said. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, oh, real quick. Um, so when I was Christmas shopping, I was in the toy section and in the toy section they have all these board games and, and stuff like that and so i i just kind of on a lark bought a chess board and it has like chess and checkers and on the inside you can play backgammon and so my daughter and i have been playing checkers this week and she loves it and i didn't think she i, I had no idea how she would feel about this because you know it's kind of it's not a tv it's not a fancy game that lights up and makes a lot of noise but she really likes it and uh so we've been playing that and it's just been kind of cool to, you know, she'll ask me, daddy, can we play, can we play checkers today? I'm like, sure. Yeah, let's play. So it's She's awesome. Into that fun age where she can play back and forth a little bit, but she can sit still long enough to mm -hmm. play like a board game. And that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm trying was... to get to the, the point where we can do a board game with the kids that doesn't irritate the three-year-old. Right. Because uh, I could probably sit down and do a board game with the older two, but the younger one is going to lose his mind. Um, <clears throat> but I will suggest when you get to chess, um, we got this. It's called No Stress Chess. 
and it's a chessboard, but it comes with cards. And what you do is you play the cards or you, you, you draw the cards and it's really about teaching you the moves, right? So you draw a card, you draw the knight and it shows you what the knight can do on the card. Hmm. So you have to play the knight and you kind of have to look at what's the situation the knight is in. So it, <clears throat> it constrains you the, uh, in a way that chess normally wouldn't, but it teaches you all the moves, right? Cool. So to think very, uh, in a focused way on a specific piece at a specific moment to see what that piece can do. Um, we've had some success with that with the older ones, but um, I highly recommend it. It's, I mean, it's like 10, huh. 11 bucks. It, it is so funny that you say that because as I was talking to my brother-in-law, Kyle, one of our guest dads uh, on the pod, he uh, was telling me about no stress chess as well. And, um, and so he actually said he was going to buy a, buy us a copy and send it. Cause that's what he plays with his son. And uh, so I'm, I'm actually really excited because they see, right. You look at the pieces, checker pieces are not that exciting. Chess pieces, you know, got horses and castles and all this stuff going on. And, and they wanted to play with that. I'm like, you guys aren't ready for that. Let's figure out checkers first and we'll move on. But um, Kyle told me about no stress chess and I'm really excited to try that out with my daughter. Cause I, I think she'll like it. Yeah. I, I, I think you'll enjoy it. <clears throat> and then when we come visit you, Yes. Or vice versa. Eh, you need to come to SLC. <laughs> been to Salt Lake City. Not when I'm here. That's true. I think the onus is on us a little bit more than it is on Jake, <laughs> given that he's been a resident of Arizona for 10 years now. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 10 years? Was that it? 12. I think it was 11. 12, 12 years, yeah. wasn't it? <clears throat> yeah. We're so old. We're so old. I know. It's all right. I still don't have facial hair. Whatever, <laughs> I'm over it. Awesome. You know what? My son, my son had a big conversation about that the other day. He was watching a little dad bod, and said, "Yeah, how come you and Jake have beards and, and Eric doesn't?" <laughs> I'll make sure that you know that he hears about that. That's Wyatt, awesome. Coming after you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. That's just disrespectful. But he's a fan true. of the show. He's just asking a question. Hey, yeah, yeah. I mentioned on your picture, Jake, your Instagram picture. I'm like, we can recreate that with the picture, but I, I can't be one of the guys with beards. No, I text I texted you back. Yeah, I know. Who who were the two? Kurt, Uncle Kurt or Uncle Jack. That's who you'd have to be. Okay. All of, all of which can grow full beards, but but they didn't in the picture. We're just recreating the picture. Yeah. Not recreating their everything. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. All right, do you guys want to get into this? Not really, but okay. No, you just want to keep talking about... No, so uh, I, you know, I text you, I think maybe we'll try to do this episode maybe later this week, maybe, um, years that were worse than 2020. And the reason we need to wait is because, and we can wait till next week, because we don't, 2020 is not done yet. It can get a whole lot worse, but there are mm. years in history, as much as people want to deny it, that are worse than 2020. They just weren't alive for it. <clears throat> and most people didn't survive it, right? So, um, but it's the last week of 2020. So I think some last weeks in history. Last week of the year. In history uh, would be kind of interesting. So kind of like a uh, this week in history showdown or I don't know, whatever. I don't think it's a showdown. It's just, uh, yeah, just kind of we'll just go. big events that <clears throat> occurred in history 
on the last but, week of the year. So <clears throat> starting from December 25th through December 31st. Yeah. But since we're, uh, since I, you know, because of what happened pre, pre-recording, um, I'm not thinking very linearly right now. Um, I'm reading Grant by Ron Chernow. He wrote Alexander Hamilton and Washington. He wrote a bunch of biographies. These mm-hmm. are like thousand page biographies. <clears throat> and I might've texted this to you guys. Grant smoked 18 to 20 cigars a day during the war. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Now, the reason he had so many was because people found out he liked them. So they started sending him boxes of cigars. So he just started smoking them. But I'm just imagining like, you know, I, I think it killed him because I think he basically died of lung or throat cancer. <laughs> but um, but it would be rude for him not to smoke a gift. Oh, so, oh yeah. yeah. But just so you know, I don't think Churchill smoked that many. What was Churchill's yeah, number? Because when you mentioned smoking cigars, you know, that's, that's a great way to relax. You sit out by the fire, you drink a glass of whiskey, you smoke a cigar, you know, and, and he's in the middle of a war. He's got to do what he's got to do to cope with it. So I think he's well within his rights as a red-blooded American. Good for him. Yeah. Nothing takes the edge off of defeating rebels, like relaxing with a nice cigar. 18 to 20 times a day <laughs> I, I think it's more of like a a, a focal focus exercise <clears throat> mm. just like here's the one thing i can absolutely 100 percent control so i don't lose my mind on a map that somebody shows me but mm-hmm. i don't know i it's mean that's a wild it's something that's to aspire a wild to. fact is it i mean Okay, you aspire to that. Let me let me know what your I mean, quality of life is next year. <laughs> this time next year, <laughs> after smoking 18 to 20 cigars a day, tell me how things are. I'm just saying that, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Still, if I'm still locked down a year from now, I'll be smoking that many cigars. Oh, that's okay. Understandable. <clears throat> that goes you know, back to Cameron's point. Your voice they, would sound a lot deeper for the podcast i mean ooh, that would be it looked like i had a beard but it would just be ash (laughs) just be nicotine (laughs) if they could put the vaccine into cigars we'd be aiming 18 to 20 a day easily (laughs) okay so we can get into this it's uh a rundown of this week in history but like the last week of the year right yeah All right, so what do we have? Let's look at, um, obviously, in 2020, December 25th started out with a bang in Nashville, right? so bad, yeah. Which is just like, well, it's not even so bad, really. It really isn't, right? It was just, it was literally just an explosion. It could have been a lot worse. Yes, absolutely. And and I'm not trying to, like, like make light of it, but it, it was literally an explosion that that damaged some things the only person killed was i think three people were injured (laughs) yeah and i think they were all police officers who were on the scene at the time uh the only person killed was apparently the perpetrator but if we go back but that's not history okay that's right now no we just typed in a uh, Rocky Bell. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> you know what? That's that's what we need to lead with. Okay. Okay. Because first of all, 
History started, as you know, on July 4th, 1776. There's been That's true. There's been a few things that have happened. Everything before that, that was a mistake, right? That's exactly that's the phrase. Thank you, but, Blon Blonson. You know, I I just want to bring up what immediately pops into everybody's head as as all our listeners across America think. You know, my favorite movie. There's no way before. they would have scheduled a boxing match on December 25th in 1985. Have you seen the movie, Eric? Why would have they have done that? Movie? It, unless because it was the like... communists don't care about Christmas. Okay. Exactly. Why? Is that... <laughs> exactly. Hold on. That's I don't why. Believe. Because Rocky Balboa effectively ended the Cold War on Christmas Day by going to Russia on Drago's own turf and beating him up. Did he? I don't remember yeah. the movie. Okay, hold on. I, I've seen the movie at least... 26 times so for jesus birthday rocky gave him the gift of defeating atheist communism he gave russia the gift of freedom (laughs) (laughs) oh this is hard to understand hey it's been a while do we need to do a watch party and film review of rocky four yeah i'm not sure we can actually do that i well first of all you need to do your homework and watch the first three rockies so you can be ready that was it was all right. You know, everybody can... thinks of Eye of the Tiger, but there's another really good montage in there. Silent oh, he's Lane. running up a mountain. He's yeah. chest he's chest pressing oh, a wagon. Man. It's awesome. It's, it's hands down the best it, montage in sports. Is it all movie set history. to Oh Holy Night? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I, that I do not remember. I don't know who wrote the score for Rocky for. You know what? Oh Holy Night is a great Hondel, great hype song. wrote the score. Yeah. Okay. All right. It was Hans well, Zimmer. Hans Zimmer adapted it. Anyway. Okay. So we're going to start out this list with a fictional event, but okay. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. I think it's a tone setter event. So well done, Cameron. That's a good one. Who wants to, who wants to go after that? Cause you can't, I don't even want to try. I thought I had a good one, but Rocky defeating communism kind of, you know what? Thanks for joining in, guys. Uh, we'll catch you all next week. Uh, oh, anything else to say? Uh, I'll go. Um, so Let me look in, at mine up in real time. So, eight, In 800 AD, Charlemagne, also known as Charles the Great, grandson of Charles Martel, was crowned the first emperor of the Romans, which would be kind of the setup for the Holy Roman Empire uh, by Pope Leo III. Uh, so those of you that don't know, this was several hundred years after the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, much of Western Europe was in disarray, small petty kingdoms uh, and hordes of different people um, kind of invading the Vandals, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the Swabians, the Almonds. Um, and so 800 AD, Charlemagne, he uh, was able to unite what is now modern day France, Italy and Germany and some of Eastern um, or Central Europe under one kingdom again. And that was the the precursor for what we know as the Holy Roman Emperor. Is Charlemagne, uh, and I think this is wrong already. I think it's Napoleon. I think it's Napoleon who like took the crown from the Pope and put it on his own head. 
or was it yes so charlemagne i think charlemagne had to kneel and that was a big deal is that uh and it it was i think otto was the one where they had the whole investiture controversy but charlemagne traveled to rome and was ordained as the holy so basically that god ordained him to be the holy roman emperor not he just declared it himself so yeah that's it charlemagne uh and that's something I learned while I was doing my research for uh, his grandson, Charles the Bald, much less impressive Charles. And Charles Martel was his father, right? His grandfather. His grandfather. Yeah. So the guys Never. in between, his father and his son, were no nothings. They were like worthless. Well, they weren't no nothing, but they just they weren't expanding or stopping invasions like Martel and Charlemagne. So well, anyway. okay. But Charlemagne's son was Pepin the Hunchback. Yeah. Weird that <laughs> weird that uh, we don't talk about that guy much. I wonder if he's oh, put in a bell tower. It didn't come up in my history class. Yeah. Seriously? Like, oh, and his, Charlemagne's another, father was Pepin the Short. Pepin the Short, yeah. Gosh, what is with this Pepin name? Poor, I mean, it's just, it doesn't. Well, here's what's funny is Charles Martel, his grandfather, wasn't a king he was the mayor of the palace in Paris. So he was like the vizier to the king. Huh, and then- Like a steward? But he, yeah, but he kind of, but the king was at this point a figurehead. I can't remember who, if it was a Pepin or I think it was a Clovis or somebody like that. But, uh, and Martel ruled, was the power behind the power sort of thing. And well, there's, until, there's just some names that do not inspire greatness. Pepin the Short. <clears throat> Pepin the Short. Adolf Schickelgruber probably does not come to rule the Third Reich, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to make a rule. Anyway. Okay. Go ahead, make your rule. Um, let's just go through these days, but we only get one thing a day. So, unless you think that's unfair. I think that's fine because we would. this would be a three-hour episode otherwise. A three-hour so. episode... Yeah. All right, so I'll go 25th December 1914, something that actually happened. Uh, the Christmas truces across the Western Front in Europe during World War I. Now, I always think that story is like inspirational and uplifting. And, you know, they started singing carols in German at one end and then in they English at the football. other. And then they raised Christmas trees and they all got out of their foxholes and all their trenches. They started playing games of football or soccer. And uh, they, uh, you know, they, they exchanged gifts and did all the stuff. And they went back in their trenches and the next day just started lighting each other up again. And this mm -hmm. only happened in 1914, after which it just like, it came down from above. That's not going to happen again. We're not fraternizing with the enemy. We are just going to spend Christmas murdering each other. So yeah. it's kind of that moment where all of the... Uh, the politics and all the leadership pushing for this war gets set aside for these are humans who uh, who actually in this part of the world all share a lot of culture. So, which is ironic because I guess I'm going to bring it up anyway, even though we can only have one per person. But uh, George Washington would not have been a fan of a Christmas truce because what did he do on Christmas Eve, 1776? He whooped a bunch of drunk Germans. Yeah, he crossed the Delaware. So he was not a fan of Christmas truce. 
I was uh, doing a little research with my son on Revol I think that's why they War. didn't let us play in the World War One that early. Yeah, bad, in bad the World War One. Yeah, great. Um, great I was doing a research with my son on uh, Revolutionary War, and you know, I, I started by teaching that to him and, and showing him the the famous painting of Washington crossing the Delaware. And I read down and scrolled down a little bit and it turns out it was probably pretty unlikely that he went across on a vessel that small. So he looks really heroic and, you know, history remembers that, but it's more mm -hmm. likely that he went across on like a, you know, flat. Like a ferry almost or Almost like barge. a barge or something. Okay. Um, and there was another painting that supposedly is more uh, historically accurate, a lot less impressive looking than uh, the one that we all know. Okay. Yeah, I guess the guy sitting on a ferry is not as heroic as a guy plowing through the ice on a on a rowboat or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Do we want to move on to? Uh, yeah, let's get to the twenty sixth. Twenty sixth. All right, well, uh, mine was 1941, FDR signed the bill establishing Thanksgiving as a federal holiday. This is important um, in the fact that it's just the first time it was kind of codified that it would be a federal holiday. Um, previous presidents, namely Washington and Lincoln had declared thanks days of Thanksgiving, but um, it was not usually something that was supposed to be repeated uh, annually, um, but mm -hmm. like, well, like Lincoln did it during the Civil War, like saying, let's give thanks to God for carrying us through this. Um, not every year give thanks. Um, so this is the first time it was said, set down as a federal holiday that every year on this day, we will celebrate Thanksgiving. Now, isn't one of the issues is that it, it kept like being like the third Thursday or the fourth Thursday. And so this actually set it down as a fourth Thursday of the month i believe is, that, is so. that part of it because yeah i i've read where like it alternated all over the, the second place. to last thursday of november okay. that was the proclamation i love that there's certain days in american i guess federal holidays well like like um election day is the first tuesday after the first monday mm -hmm. and i think I thought Thanksgiving was something similar at one point, but it's always yeah. like the first something after the first this other day. I find that odd. Yeah. Curious. Oh, well, and actually my, my mistake, he declared it on the second to last Thursday, but 16 states refused to acknowledge it and said it had to be the last Thursday of November. Um, and so for two federalism, years, baby. So, and so this was in 1939. So for two years, there was two Thanksgivings, 1939 and 40, and then in 1941, they passed you know, a resolution saying it would be the last Thursday in November. So that's just the government. And then World War II started. Yeah, that's just and, the government ruining yeah. it for us. Two Thanksgivings in a row. What's wrong uh -huh. with that? More thanks to give. More turkey. Yeah. More football. 
Yeah, well, that's just what that's just what big box store wanted back then. Macy's. Well, that's what it listen, was all. It was all a plan listen, to get two Black Fridays. There's only one president worse than FDR. So yeah, that sounds about right. That he would limit our Thanksgivings. Uh huh. Oh, that I'm not, seems. I'm pretty... not going to bite. I'm not going to oh. bite on asking who that worst president is. I'm not playing that game tonight. It's easy. It's Woodrow Wilson. But whatever. <laughs> okay. I'm All just right. going to mute myself for a moment. No, That's let me fine. do mine. Then camera can go because I got to mute myself because I got to go okay. deal with something. Uh, 1944. We're in the same decade. Um, General George S. Patton breaks through the encirclement at Bastogne. So nice. on December 16th, I believe, the Germans launched the Battle of the Bulge. Um, at the, uh, you know, it was in the middle of this winter, right? They attack at Bastogne and they attack um, into, I believe it's Belgium, where American forces are. We've kind of stopped our advance at the Rhine, figuring we'll, we'll pick it up in the spring. The Germans attack in the middle of winter. It's called the Battle of the Bulge because it becomes this bulge in the line. And they encircle this, the town of Bastogne, and in Bastogne um, is the 101st Airborne, specifically Easy Company, right, from Band of Brothers. And they're trapped there. Um, they're asked if they'd surrender. And the commander of American forces in Bastogne gives the Germans a one-word response of? Nuts. Nuts. And uh, then on the 26th of December, um, Patton's Third Army breaks through the encirclement. Now, there's a lot of like controversy, right? So Patton and the Third Army think they rescued the Americans there. The Americans there were like, we didn't need to be rescued. We're fine. We're good. So um, because as airborne, yep. they, they're like, we're airborne. We fight surrounded. So that's what we do. So um, that was 26th of December, 1944. Oh, that's a good I did not know that story. That's cool. Yeah, they they the the airborne and and the rest of the army divisions that that broke them out, they all disagree about whether they no, needed to the be heroes. saved. No, we're the heroes. They're like we didn't. Yeah. They're like we saved you. They're like we didn't need saving. We were fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you were. It was like negative ten degrees. And you didn't have winter coats and you had no food. They're like, no, nah, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> we're yep. we're totally good with this. That's uh, that's impressive. No. I don't need saving. <laughs> Button my coat. <laughs> um, my my choice for December twenty sixth, and um, you know, leave it to Eric to talk about stuff that matters and World War Two and you know, freedom. Um, yeah. I'm going with uh, the date in nineteen nineteen that Babe Ruth was sold to the Yankees. Ooh, good um, one. Really, really big historical cultural event if you think about you know our historical pastime baseball who was the pretty much undisputed best player ever um Babe Ruth you know not yeah. just the numbers the legends that, that go along with it I mean he was a guy that literally hit more home runs in a season than a team would um and he was sold to base not cross town but almost cross town rival um at the time yankees 
and you know history shows you know what the Yankees have done to the rest Red Sox for all of the 20th century and most of the time since then too Mm -hmm. um is man that was absolutely huge and if you were were to kind of tie it back to one event um that shift in power was probably selling Babe Ruth to the Yankees yeah and and it's interesting I remember you and I were talking about this my gosh it's at least a year ago now about Babe Ruth and just how dominant he was and people kind of knock him now you know because as time wears on people forget kind of forget the past but he was an incredibly good pitcher before he became just a hitter yeah and like I think he won two Cy Young awards something like that yeah like and he and and those were years where he was not hitting so all the numbers that he put up as a hitter there was like three or four years where he was a pitcher and he was not hitting and it's like man if he had hit those and those are early in his career. So when he was at his most fit, had yeah. he been a, a batter then, who knows what his home run records would have been like. And if Hank Aaron would have beat them or anybody, frankly. Yeah, it's a um, good call. He would have hit 800 home runs had he yeah. been, you know, playing both ways, I guess you could call it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is there's a lot of incredible pitchers out there and there's a lot of incredible hitters. There's not a lot of people that can hit and pitch. Yeah. And be like renowned for both. <laughs> like that's, that's a rarity. Um, so that's, that's a good one. And when did that curse finally get broken? The the curse in Boston? 2004 is when they, when they came back and beat the Yankees in the ALCS and then um, just disposed of the Cardinals. I think they swept the Cardinals in the world series as well. Okay. Was that Schilling? Was um, he on that team? Yes. Okay, the bloody sock and yeah, that because that was post um, Diamondback shelling. Yeah, that was the bloody sock uh, yeah. series. In okay. The ALCS. Cool. All right, Zarek back yet? Yeah, I'm here. See. Oh, sorry. Did you not see my face? I minimized the screen, so I'm only looking at one person at a time. Sorry. No, no, I'm fine. It's all right. Cool. Uh, okay. What I heard there is he likes me better. Mainly. Yep, that's it. <laughs> All right. Do you want to do you want me to start for the 27th? Yeah. So 27th of December, huh? Yeah. Big day. Today. Today is the 27th. Mm. So this day in history. Uh, I had a couple. I think the one I'm going to pick is the Hagia Sophia was completed in Constantinople in 537. And the reason I picked this is um, actually because of something happened this year. Um, but what the Hagia Sophia was, or is, I should say, um, it was a, a church, a huge cathedral completed in Constantinople for the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, and, and ostensibly, it was the seat of the Eastern Church's power um, during the Byzantine Empire. Uh, it's this beautiful, massive sculpture. And after the fall of Constantinople, it became a mosque. Um, when, when the Turks invaded. And, and then for a time there, I think after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the Hagia Sophia was a, a museum, it was converted to a museum. But this year, um, the Erdogan, the, the president of Turkey, uh, converted it back to a mosque for the first time in like 
over almost 100 years. So uh, it's just kind of cool that there's this massive, beautiful building that's lasted almost 1500 years and has seen, it's literally seen empires rise and fall and yet it still stands. I just think that's kind of a, uh, a cool testament to it. Yeah, and it survived the fall of Constantinople, which was in itself a massive mm-hmm. um, event. You know, it's, and, and, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that the Ottomans didn't knock it over, right? I mean, it was a, it was a Christian cathedral, right? And instead of what is it, destroying it, they converted it. It doesn't the holy wisdom, right? Yeah, holy wisdom is what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I pulled it up, right? And I see the map of Constantinople and that map brings back um, just the geography of Constantinople itself, the city with the, uh, what is what is the uh, the seat of the, the south? The, 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 oh, the, the Sea of Marna? Yeah, Amara? the Sea of Marna. And then you have the Golden Horn, which is the other body of water to the north. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you and I took that class together, right? The history of Byzantium, mm-hmm. um, talking about how they had chains across the Golden Horn to keep ships out. And yeah. um, <clears throat> there's several series of walls around Constantinople that in 1453, right, when the Ottomans came through, they had to pound through those with literally the first cannons the West had ever seen. Well, and those cannons, the guy that made them offered to sell them to Constantinople, that they really? couldn't afford them. So they basically said, sorry, go pound sand. And so he sold them to the, uh, to the Turks and they yeah. happily used huh. them against Constantinople to finally break the city down. Yeah, so. that's, yeah, it, it's an amazing structure. And I, yeah. and I think um, all religious preferences aside, the artwork that that Islam brings into into that building is quite something, right? Like mm-hmm. some of the intricate patterns that they bring to a lot of their structures and in, in art is something to behold. But it, I mean, as a structure itself, it's amazing. All right, so that's mine. Five thirty-seven A.D. Hagia Sophia. Oh, I have two on December twenty-seventh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I'd written tough. down two. That is really tough. Uh, the one is a really good story, but I'm going to go with uh, this one. So 1929, December 27th, uh, Joseph Stalin, whatever name he has at that point in the Soviet Union, secret, general secretary or whatever, he orders the liquidation of the Kulaks as a class. Um, Who are the Kulaks? So the Kulaks are this group of prosperous peasants, is I guess how you'd put it. Uh, the majority of them lived in like areas like Ukraine, and they owned land. They owned their own land. They owned farms, and they farmed them. They were really good at farming, it turns out, if you've done that for generations, uh, to the point that they had actually gained some wealth, not a ton, Like these are lower middle class, but they have land and they have wealth. So Stalin orders the liquidation of the Kulaks as a class because they have more than the lowest class, right? They're they're a threat to factory workers because they have more. Um, So this begins the process over several years in which the Soviet Union uh, takes the Kulaks from their homes 
ships them to uh, to Siberia and uh, like confiscates their land. And they turn that land over to like these committees and these farm co-ops and they come in and farm the land. So a couple things happen here. One is the Kulaks end up going to Siberia and most of them die. The second is you remove these people who basically have, have gained wealth over generations and not a ton of wealth, but enough to be middle-class in Russia in the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. The third thing is they send new people in to go manage these farms who are not good at farming. They're not kulaks. They don't know how to manage farms. So they try to do it through a centralized system. What ends up happening is because the kulaks are taken out and their expertise in farming in this area is removed, the farms start producing less. And as a result of that, millions of Ukrainians starve. But it's all so that we can, so that the Soviets can equal out their entire society so they can make make sure everyone is on the same level playing field and you know it only costs a few million lives right so what i find interesting about this and again this is this is why we look at history right it tells us something about what's going on on a daily basis when we look to remove groups from our society because they're they've done too well, or um, other people are suffering. Like if we're going to reduce ourselves to the lowest common denominator, we will all be reduced to like the lowest common denominator. We won't do well. The Kulaks had made money because they were really good at farming. They provided a massive amount of food for Ukraine and the surrounding areas. Stalin sees people with wealth as a threat, removes them, and then millions of people starve. So it, it's, a, it's a cautionary tale in, in central planning. It's a cautionary tale on trying to make everything equal. It, it's just like he literally, it, and <clears throat> Stalin has, makes no bones about it. We're going to remove this group of people as a group of people. Yeah, that doesn't work well. Was, I mean, it was the plan to just execute them, or was the plan to break <clears throat> them up and break them up and remove them. them, remove them from their position of power, which was owning land and making money off agriculture? And he did that, and they died, and people, other people starved. Um, yeah. Wow. Good story. Yeah, and I like your point there, you know, history repeats itself, and that's why it's so important to know history, because, you know, people tend to have a short memory when those kind of things are involved. I mean, millions of people dying, you know, call it unintended consequences, but if it's Stalin, it's probably not. Um, but that's well, I'm, I'm sure he didn't think, oh, millions of people will starve. I'm sure he was thinking... We're going to do this so that nobody profits. It's like, yeah, but they profited because they, they knew how to farm. I, I, I do not expect to take a bunch of Harvard-trained lawyers, drop them on a farm in the Central Valley in California, and expect them to do anything with the land because they have no idea where to start. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying they're, they're worthless, but 
you know, Harvard trained lawyers are good at something and that is the law. They get paid for that. There are people in the Central Valley who know how to farm. And if you remove them and try to put other people there, even if you try to put like untrained labor there, if they don't know what to do, you're going to lose several years of crops and yield that will result in people starving. Well, and, and one of the funny, I guess not funny, but interesting things is about the Russians. Hilarious. That they, they were always they were always technologically behind the rest of the world. I mean, not just Europe, but oh. everywhere, China, Japan, like they were, they were always behind in agriculture and this set them back even further as the rest of the world was speeding ahead and technologically improving their agriculture and their yield, uh, America specifically, um, Russia was still struggling to fully industrialize. Yeah, I mean, Russia had only come out of feudalism in the night in like 1920 right so up until 1917 they still had the czar and they were basically still working on a very feudal system i mean the germans and the british and in a number of uh countries in europe still had a monarchy but russia's was still based on feudalism right mm -hmm. so you still had peasants and in the rest of europe you didn't have a peasantry really anymore um because they had started to whether they still had a monarchy or not, most of them still had a, some sort of constitution and some sort of um, a parliament or other thing that was your lawmaking body. The Russians were still, they had the, the Duma, which was a lawmaking body, but I mean, it was, they were so far behind. Yeah. Yeah, so you're right about that. All right. Um, let's... Uh... Move on. Cameron, do you have one for the 27? Yeah, I found this was pretty interesting. Um, just, you know, in, in light of our Dow Jones, Dow Jones, I think, reaching over 30,000 right now at the moment. As of 1993, the then record high for the Dow was 3,792. Woo! <laughs> so it's... Talk about... Pretty amazing. I think it's funny when I was a kid, and I guess, I mean, as a teen, early teens maybe, but I think I remember hearing this is during the Clinton years that the Dow had hit 7,000, and everyone's like, this has never happened before. And, and it just seems like it's exponential now how much yeah. more it keeps going up. Yeah, because so. when did we hit 20,000 for the first time? Uh, that was early in Trump's term. Yeah, early in Trump's term. Now we're at 30. Go up like that much in Trump's time? Wow. Yeah, it, it was like it, I think it went up to 14,000 by the end of Obama's term, which was the highest ever. And then hit 20,000 early in Trump's term, like in that first few months, I think. And then obviously it went up and down and now it's hit 30,000. Like it's just bonkers. I don't I know mean, if numbers, numbers mean nothing anymore to me. It's all, it's all make-believe. but Right. Right. No, I, I like, uh, you know, Bitcoin is kind of like that. Two weeks ago, Bitcoin was sitting at like 17,000 a Bitcoin. And now it's like pushing 28,000. I mean, that that's wild. It's especially wild if you bought like, like 100 Bitcoin back in 2011 for five bucks. And <laughs> held on to it, right? That would be wild. It'd be wild if you did that and then sold it in 2013 for like, 
you know, 50 cents a Bitcoin. You're like, oh, I made some money. And now you're yeah. sitting thinking I could have had millions of dollars. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny that you say that because that's exactly what I think. And like everybody ever, oh, I wish I would have put such and such amount of money in such and such company way back 30 years ago. And oh man, you know, and you can drive yourself crazy doing that. Yeah, but here's the thing. I did have somebody in 2011 telling me, buy Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah. eh, I don't know. And then I had somebody else telling me, no, don't buy Bitcoin. It's worthless. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. And now I'm sitting here like, maybe it's maybe it's a fiat make-believe <laughs> currency. But Were either everything of those people, is. Me and Cameron? No. <laughs> but I mean- the dollar is made up at this point. So, yeah. But, you know, it's like all I had to do is put a hundred bucks in and forget about it. Right. And now I'd be like, forget it. Gosh. You retired right now doing this podcast from Bermuda. Uh, Man, that would be awesome. All of us. Cause I would have just said, I'm paying you all. I had a, (laughs) I had an acquaintance of mine. So um, back in, this was, 2013 when I got out of teaching went to work for a job that I absolutely hated and uh one of the guys so it was just call center job and one of the guys um on my team was obsessed with bitcoin and on any given day he would come in either elated or just down the dumps and before I even before anything came out of his mouth I would, I would say, Hey man, what, what happened with Bitcoin? And I mean, he would put way more money than he had into Bitcoin behind his wife's back. And he would just live and die by the Bitcoin price on a daily basis. And I felt like I was getting an ulcer on this guy's behalf with all of the stress he was putting himself through. And it was just, uh, he looked like hell every Monday morning because of the, the change in, in emotion. And it was just hilarious because I, again, he was an acquaintance of mine, not a buddy of mine. And I was watching it from afar and it was just so funny to see him do that. I wanted to see, encourage him, but I didn't have the heart. What you could have done, and this is where it's, it's tricky, right? Because you have no idea where, if you're back in 2011, right? And I'm trying to see what the price was in 2011. Um, wasn't much, but you know we're talking like under a dollar. So you put a hundred dollars in in 2011 and just forget about it, right? And you just let it sit. Like a, there's a possibility that you actually do forget you had it. <laughs> yeah. But B is like. If you're following it day to day, if you're trying to do a day trade, first of all, who knew that it would get to almost 30,000 in 2020? <laughs> but it was 30,000 per Bitcoin. It's like at 28,000 right now. And in 2011, it was selling for like eight cents a Bitcoin. <laughs> Foolish us. 10 bucks. Let's, uh, let's stop talking about our following yeah. and move on to this the next is one. Be so sad. We could have been so rich. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I have I have a family. I have a wife and children. That's all I need. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> yeah, something tells me that guy <laughs> from 
from from the call center job does not have a wife anymore. No, I said it's dark. I'm gonna go out on a limb. <laughs> or if he still has that Bitcoin, maybe he does have a wife. The way he was going, he wasn't gonna be able to ride anything out. <laughs> All right, December 28th. Let's get to it before we end up getting down. Um, all right, so I'll, I'll go. Uh, 1836, December 28th. Just want to make sure the year right. Um, yeah, 1836, Spain finally recognizes Mexico's independence. I think Mexico declared independence like in 1821 um, and fought years and, and would get some independence and then Spain would try to reconquer them. But finally, uh, 1836, the Santa Maria Calatrava Treaty signed in Madrid recognized Mexico's independence uh, from Spain. So our neighbor to the South became an independent nation on this day in 1836. Hmm. Yeah, that's all I got. Well, and, not all I got. I got another one, but yeah. and what would happen next is then Texas is like, yeah, we're out too. Yeah, and then, and then the Spanish or the uh, Mexican American War is going to happen. So them gaining independence from Spain was just like that first domino. So it's Texas yeah. leaving, and then us having a war, and keeping in mind the Mexican American War in the late eighteen thirties. A large number of Civil War generals had their first combat experience in the Mexican-American War, mm -hmm. including Ulysses S. Grant. He was um, actually a subordinate of Robert E. Lee in that war. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You had you had guys from both sides fighting in that war, involved in a number of operations. Um, it's kind of interesting that that hey. was. A precursor to the civil war it is and what, what makes it so fascinating is that while america technically had the louisiana purchase and was starting to settle west of the mississippi but they weren't a power they weren't like a world power as we know them today and mexico is actually um quite powerful and and quite prosperous at this time um so the fact that when Texas declared their independence from Mexico, um, they did win. And it's, uh, yeah, but like you said, it's uh, it was kind of the first domino to fall in, in Texas and what would later become New Mexico, Arizona, and parts of California all becoming part of the United States. Yeah. So quite the... Quite the big change. You might almost there. say that we declared our independence from Spain. Yeah, lucky <laughs> us. So, are right, you got one, Eric? Yeah. So, oh, well, I'll go. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. So, uh, December twenty eighth in nineteen forty one, um, Operation Anthropoid. That's not uh, commenced. It is. I don't know what it means. Anthropoid. Um, basically, it was a planned assassination of an SS general, Reinhard Heydrich, Heydrich, 
um, who was the acting uh, Reich's protector and protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. Hey. And so the, the operation was carried out by uh, Czechoslovakia army in exile um, in Prague. Um, so it actually, the, the, the execution of the, the assassination attempt took place on May 27th, but all the operations began on December 28th, uh, 1941. So uh, basically it was this long drawn out operation to try to kill um, this high ranking official in this area. Um, and that's not even like an outskirt. It's not something that was recently claimed by Germany. I mean, I guess it was three years prior. Um, but uh, the goal was to take out these, these head SS leaders in this part of um, German-controlled Europe. Did it work? Uh, no, not, not, not too well. Um, so there, there's like a number of uh, different attacks that took place or some bombings and some, some poisonings and some, some gun, mm -hmm. gun attacks. But it was, um, you know, one of the issues was that afterwards there was a bunch of reprisals on these, these areas. And so the SS cracked down pretty heavily on these areas of Moravia and uh, was it Moravia and Bohemia. So, you know, good idea, but you know, none of this would have happened had France supported Czechoslovakia in 1939. Unbelievable. They were ready to fight when, when Hitler tried to, well, did annex Czechoslovakia. No. The Czechs are ready to fight. And, it, they just, and the French just are ready need... to fight. And the British, too. Uh, well, they were ready to fight in that the German army in 1938, right? Was it 1936? Um, the army was, I, they were, had France just rolled across the Maginot line with their tanks and army, Germany wouldn't stand a chance at that point. Yeah. But they didn't know that. And France and England were just so gun-shy after World War I, they didn't want to start it. Um, so that's kind of where Germany had the advantage. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, not to bring up bitter memories or anything, but the checks were ready to roll in 1939. That's all I'm saying. Good to know. Good. I keep yeah, that in mind. I will. Cameron, you got one? Yeah, I got one. Um, mine are becoming very uh, American-centric, so I'm coming off as a ugly <laughs> American here. That's Start okay. At the top of the show, 1776, you know, is all that matters and, and post that. Um, 1776, Mel Gibson defeated Cornwallis at the Battle of Yorktown, right? <laughs> yep, <laughs> beat me to it. In the Patriot. No, um, I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, you know, uh, the U.S. annexed Midway Island in 1867 on December 28th of that year. So um, obviously that ended up playing a huge role in uh, World War II. But, you know, when you think about all of the you mentioned the Louisiana Purchase earlier and, and how those land acquisitions kind of came in chunks or as, you know, results of a war or whatever. Um, the Midway Island was the first that was necessarily outside of the continental limits of the United mm -hmm. States. So um, kind of a cool little factoid there. That is. And it's weird that they would 
maybe Eric, you know more, but it's just kind of weird that they would annex that island because it is so, it's just so out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't- Especially in that era, you know, 1867, you know, you, you know. We're two I years removed from fighting a civil war and we would annex Midway. It's just, it's well, just an odd. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, it does seem a bit early to be doing the annexing because most of our annexing of like, you know, the Philippines and Puerto Rico, a lot of that is a result of the Spanish-American War in 1898. Mm-hmm. Um, even claiming Hawaii is, it happens it around 1900. Right? Yeah, it's late 1890s, early 1900. Um, that does seem kind of odd to be at that time, but um, you know, it might be that first foray into imperialism that we experience. <clears throat> Maybe we're, we're just, just like, we'll just take this one and see if anybody notices. There was, uh, I, was there anything, were there any people on Midway Island? I'm you know sure there was some sort of indigenous people there. I don't know, because Midway is, it's, it's just an atoll, isn't it? I mean... Well, I'm going to have to look into this more. That's really interesting, Cameron. I had no idea. Yeah, you wouldn't think that, you know, something out in the middle of the ocean would be of interest to the United States at that time when they literally couldn't even fly to it. Yeah. I mean, it says it's 1,300 miles west. Midway between Hawaii and Japan. There you go. That's unbelievable. Um, I mean, that is, I guess, even in the 1860s, that's strategic to be between those two points, yeah. but it's not like I, there, we, there's no we, indigenous we Hawaii people. though. There's no indigenous people that live there. So for us this to claim it, 2.4 miles, square miles total. Oh yeah, no, it, it's tiny. So um, <clears throat> it looks like the U S occupied it after we, we cited it, landed on it. And we're like, well, dips. Uh, yeah. I mean, we can try to mine guano. What? Um, Bad droppings. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, then we just, I mean, like it was uncontested. There was no, no one to to say boo about it, right? Okay, that's interesting. I had no idea. And just so you know, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've seen The Patriot. But that does cover the Battle of Yorktown. It doesn't even mention Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Typical. Unbelievable. Typical. Unbelievable. An- <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Typical anti-federalist propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to the 29th. Let's keep rolling. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go. Okay. I'll go. So in 1998, on December 29th, um, leaders, leaders of the uh, Khmer Rouge, right? So they're the leaders of Communist Party of um, Cambodia, basically. Yep. Uh, in 1998, they apologized for their genocide in Cambodia. Oh, that's nice of them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. I. You know, and I don't know a ton about the Khmer Rouge or um, 
you know, this area of Cambodia that was ruled by the Communist Party of Kambodia. But it's like, first of all, why are these leaders not tried already? Well, I guess if you're still the rulers, right? Like, who's gonna who's gonna put you on trial? But um, yeah, it just seems kind of odd that what twenty years later? Yeah, twenty years later, you'd be like, yeah, sorry, our bad. We shouldn't yeah. have murdered a million people. Well, I mean, didn't we officially apologize to Japan for bombing them? I mean, I think those things, it's not like it's totally out of. I mean, there's a difference between. Maybe there's not. Uh, I feel like there's a difference between like. I, maybe I can't. Well, defend here's it. another I, I one. I, I believe the United States, the, the, the Congress has officially apologized for um, the essentially the genocide and relocation of the natives in America and have paid yeah, reparations. We didn't so, do uh, that 20 years ago, right? Like that was in the 1800s. Yeah. So, like, uh, the uh, leaders of the Khmer Rouge are like, these are the people that actually carried it out. This isn't mm. like us apologizing for like two generations ago. Like, yeah, my great granddad was a real jerk. Should not have pushed for removing okay. natives. Sorry. Um, well, I guess in that case, I guess it'd be more genuine. If the people that did it apologized. Yeah. 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 I, don't I, I don't know. I just saying it's not, it's not totally out of place where nations or regimes apologize for the atrocities they committed earlier but maybe not i don't know seems a little symbolic after the fact you know yeah i mean just apologizing and i don't i mean i don't know if they did anything after that but that's it's interesting of a of a espn apology when some athlete did something wrong is Hey, if you took this the wrong way out of sorry, if you were offended, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. if, if you thought I made a mistake because I really didn't. But yeah. my lawyer wrote this for me. I'm sorry. Apology. Yeah. Yeah. That's the non-apology. Apology is a true art form today yeah. in America. <laughs> Talk about very American things. That's Yeah. I'm sorry. You didn't like you what I did. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I wasn't wearing a mask well, at a strip club. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, was, get that. that was a good little conversation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go on to mine before Eric runs down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I, uh, 875. So I'm, I'm sticking <laughs> with my Holy Roman Emperor theme. Uh, Charles the Bald, Charlemagne's grandson, was crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Um, and I, I mean, it's not, he didn't have much of a reign. I think he was only emperor for two years. He's just kind of an interesting character that I did some research on and, and did that little one minute video on him. Um, so I don't want to say everything, but he was Holy Roman Emperor in 875 to 877, uh, which was his death. So well, you really kept that under a minute there. Here you go. I don't want to, I, there's other <laughs> stuff I want to say, but 
I already did yeah. this whole other video. I don't want to say all the stuff I said before, but I will say, no, I can't even say that. Just move on. Okay, great. On. So on. informative. That's what we're here for, folks. You learned something. A man became the emperor and then he died. Okay, now that's go, a fact. Go to Jake's other video yes, and learn and the learn rest. the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, done. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I can put like the little the little card right here and be like, there's Jake's video. Yes, yes. Love it. I'll do okay. it. <laughs> so speaking of atrocities and apologies for them. Are um, we on to December 30th, right? Yeah. No, I, I got to do my December 29th. 29th. Oh, okay. So my December 29th was the Treaty of New Akota, um, which basically officially signed over all of the um, Indian land of the Cherokee Nation east of the Mississippi over to the United States government. So the Trail of Tears was basically initiated by that uh, treaty in 1835, um, <clears throat> which feels like too recently. Um, you know, when you think about all of the terrible things that happened to the Native Americans, that, that I mean, easy for me to say, it seems like that would have happened further ago than 1835. Um, and yeah, you know, if you want to talk about a, a group of people that was, you know, the gold medalists of oppression and getting treated poorly in this country, it's probably the Native Americans. Um, when you just line up all of the things that happened to them and the things that are still going on. I mean, the, the land on which they live now are long-term leases as opposed to, you know, land that they actually own. And that's, that's a travesty. You know, it's funny and Eric, I'm going to break your rule. I'm going to do two because it's funny what you said, Cameron, is uh, the other one I had for this date was the massacre at Wounded Knee, which happened in 1876. Um, so, the, and that one is, particular to me because I've been to that site um, in South Dakota when I was a kid. I went there a couple of times. Um, me and my mom went there to a, a, a camp, um, like a summer camp sort of thing. And Wounded Knee was not too far from where that camp was. And we went to the site and it's just this, it's just a sad little graveyard. And that's all you know about like what happened there. But you know, I think about 300 women and children were, were massacred by U.S. cavalry. And, you know, I think all the warriors were drawn away to some other conflict or they were on their way back from something else. And so these women and children were defenseless. But um, so it, it's just, a, you know, when you look at the, like you said, Cameron, when you look at kind of the, the black eye on American history, I think the displacement and execution of the natives is right there at the top of the list and uh it's a shame you know but um you know all you can do i guess is move forward and i do know that congress has formally apologized and and that they have made formal restitution or reparations for that but it's like i don't know it's just it's just something that's always been a little bit more personal to me ever since I went to Wounded Knee as a kid. So, it's, you know, just to go to this site and it's just, you can kind of feel the weight of what happened there. If that 
makes any sense, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a, in a town that um, has a heavy, heavy Native American population. And um, yeah, growing up with, with that kind of background and that kind of um, being surrounded by it, it's, it's really is amazing and, and shocking um, what happened throughout American history in, you know, really all across the country to different tribes or whatever. And um, it's sad that to this day, they still love on, you know, largely on reservations that they don't own and they don't have the right to sell. And mm-hmm. when you talk about land ownership, um, you know, ownership is, is where it's at because that's where wealth comes from oftentimes. And it's, uh, it's really, really sad to see all the things that have gone on um, between the U.S. government and the, the Native American people. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. Um, Eric, do you have a, do you have one for the 29th? Yeah, I did mine already. It was the. Um... <clears throat> yeah, we're on to the 30th now. 30th. Um, didn't I do the 29th? I don't know. Yeah, it was a Khmer Rouge. Apologize. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 29th is a rough day. Jeez. All right. Oh, an apology is not a bad thing. But um, the 30th, and I'm just going to say this and then be done with it because it's just one of those most terrifying things that doesn't seem so terrifying at the moment. In 1922, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics is formed on December 30th. And from there on, I mean, we all know what happens and you can say, well, they didn't do real communism, but I mean, they did. And um, the numbers, the scoreboard doesn't lie. That's gonna result in more deaths than than Nazi Germany will in terms of people just killed for being opposite the, the ruling power. Mm-hmm. So, and that's going to last until 1990, 1991, right? So, um, it's amazing that the USSR lasted six years after Rocky defeated Drago. You know, yeah, I thought it would have been done the next day. If it weren't for Rocky, the USSR would still exist. So. Yeah, no, I understand. It's full circle. It's all, it's all, <laughs> it all comes back. It all ties together. Do we just wrap it there? No, we have to get to the 31st. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, I'll go. Um, mine is Rudyard Kipling was born in 1865 on December 30th, uh, most famously known for writing The Jungle Book. And here's something I want to say. It was funny when we were unpacking some of our boxes and I found a copy of The Jungle Book and I was talking to my wife about it. And when I was a kid, I did um, like scholastic book it or readathons, you know, where you got all these points, you can get like a pizza party or something like that. And I read the jungle book and I told it to my teacher and she didn't believe me and she wouldn't give me the credit for it. Ooh. I was, I'm still burning up. I was like in third grade and I'm still hot. You should that. write her a letter. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Warwick. Yeah. Just tell her. Yeah. She's, Oh man, I was so mad. <laughs> Did you read it? Yes. Did somebody sign for it? Yes. So then what's the problem? 
Just don't trust you, Jake. It's yeah. not your kind of book. Yeah. yeah. This is we have some Berenstein Bear in the back. They didn't, they didn't think I was Jungle Book ready. Whatever. I... <laughs> All right. um, I'm going to do mine. I'm going to do it with one sentence um, because I can't stand him, but this is a big historical day. LeBron James was born on December 30th of 1984. Okay. If you'd like to know more oh. about why Cameron doesn't like LeBron James, tune in to our dad bod about the last dance. I'm hey, sure he talked about fair, it. And maybe that's why somebody didn't give us a, a, a didn't like, unliked it because of our LeBron James criticism. But to be fair, Cameron, one of the things we came up with was that LeBron doesn't have scandals. He doesn't have personal issues that keep coming up. He's, he's when are we congratulating clean. people for not committing <laughs> crimes. I would I, let me know when my parade is so that I can be honored for not having committed a felony. I'm just saying compared compared to the other ones that we talked about as being great, <laughs> he's pretty squeaky clean. I don't know. I our our standards That's why he's not the greatest. For, our standards for pro athletes doesn't now have are, anything to overcome. Exactly. Yeah, true. See? He he's not he's not the flawed character. He's too per he's Superman. Not interesting. Yeah. Jordan doesn't believe in limits on the court or off. Okay, that's why he's the goat. <laughs> See, Jake, we needed that kind of insight on our last episode. We yeah. also needed. I don't know much about basketball, but apparently, we just kept going. <clears throat> All right, that's a good one. Um, do you want to move on to the thirty-first or? You want to let's not linger on LeBron any okay. farther. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll go. Uh, 406 AD, the Vandals, Alans, and Swabians, uh, all Germanic tribes, uh, cross the Rhine. Um, this is a, a big moment in history because this was the beginning of the end for Rome. I think in 476, um, AD is when Rome was finally sacked uh, by the Visigoths, um, Alaric. But it, the Vandals, Alans, and Swabians crossed the Rhine. They started devastating Gaul, which would, you know, modern day France um, and into Spain. And then eventually the sacking of Rome, which is something that had not happened since almost 400 BC, so almost a thousand years. So, um, and then the fall of the Roman Empire led to the, the chaos of the Middle Ages and, you know, the, the rise of all these other empires throughout North Africa and the Middle East. And so it's just a, a momentous occasion in history because of that. Because um, the Rhine was kind of the last hard border of the Roman Empire. You know, they, they'd kind of been in decline for a bit, but... Um, the Rhine was always their firm boundary between them and the Germans. Yeah, I think and it once, was only... And once the Germans crossed that, it was it was the beginning of the end. Julius Caesar and a couple other people had only ever crossed it. And it was never really to cross it with permanent settlement in mind. It was just to cross it to, to let the Germans know we're we still could. here and we can. Yeah. Um, but with the Germans, once the Germans cross it the other direction, then it's, that's something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my uh, 
That's my event for December 31st. That's good. Cameron? 1695 was the year, December 31st. A window tax is imposed in England, causing many storekeepers to brick up their windows to avoid the tax. And they wonder why they lost the war. <laughs> a window tax, of all the things to tax a window. But, okay. And this was in England, you said? What it says. I mean, go to those people and go to um, the colonials, the colonists, and, and show them some of the taxes that we have and tell and ask them, be like, what do you think? Should we have a revolution or what do, what do you, what would you do yeah. with our taxes as they are? Yeah. And if one of them's like, well, do you have representation? I just slap him. <laughs> Yeah, I, re I read this, um, it and it was coincidentally on tax day, like, I don't know, 2017 or something. And Matt Walsh, who I have mixed feelings about, he's pretty good in general, um, but he wrote this big piece on taxation and, you know, basically started out as the only for sure's are debt and taxes. And he went through, you know, literally the moment you wake up out of bed you're getting taxed until the moment that you go to sleep you're getting taxed you know if you look at your phone in bed there's a tax on that as soon as you get out of bed and brush your teeth you know there's a tax on the water you you know turn on your coffee maker and make yourself coffee that's electricity that is always taxed so he goes through all of these things in in the day and it's just yeah you can't help but think that our founding fathers are rolling in their graves at all of the things and, and taxes that were, were going on. My, my kids, <clears throat> every time they hear Biden's name, they, you know, kind of goad me into talking more taxes because daddy hates paying taxes to the government. So your kids are internet trolls. Basically, <laughs> basically, <laughs> they're, they they're built-in internet trolls in your household. That's awesome. You better be careful because you might have a revolution on your hands in your household. Yeah. Oh, it's a powder keg. Every every night at the dinner table, it is a powder keg. You see, I, you, you see your son looking over at your daughters like, "Is it time yet?" Like, you let me know, and we're we're gonna do this. Uh Dad. Universal basic income, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> How do you know these things? No, they, uh, the Hamilton song about rise up, you know, Wyatt says, tell your sister that she's got to rise up. <laughs> it's his favorite part. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I love, I love that your kids are doing that. Yeah. Something I'm reading about this window tax that you're, you taught me is it was intended to be a progressive tax in houses in that houses with a smaller number of windows were exempt from the window tax but big homes with manors and tons of windows yeah. the tax would increase so it was tax a rich makes sense. yeah you just sound like a democrat jake exactly just, that's what i'm saying i'm literally you, telling you what it was i'm not you have more windows than me pay more taxes I, did you i live in a I greenhouse I live in a greenhouse. 
exactly. They didn't write the law in 1695. Tax the rich. But would you have on paper? Hmm. But would you have? Oh yeah, the law? totally. I would have had a brick tax. There you go. It's like you can <laughs> pay for your windows. You can pay for your bricks. <laughs> Boom. Pick one. Yeah. Okay. That was good. That was a good one, Cameron. I like that one a lot. Eric, did you do one? I, I've place? got two. I'll just do one really quick. In 1879, Thomas Edison demonstrates the incandescent uh, lighting to the public. And he does it in Menlo Park, New Jersey. And the reason that sticks out to me is Menlo Park, um, you know, that's where he had like his, his invention patent house where he's working. But there's a Menlo Park in the Bay Area that is, has a bunch of startups in it and you know, internet companies inventing new things, right? So I found, I find that to be interesting. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, in 1862, in the United States, Abraham Lincoln signed an act. And this is kind of interesting. Some people don't know this. <clears throat> um, Virginia seceded from the Union in 1861 when they did that, the Western counties of Virginia, which were not um, agricultural counties, they're coal mining counties, they're mountain counties. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of slavery <clears throat> in that part of Virginia. They seceded from Virginia. And so in 1862, Lincoln signs into law that admits West Virginia to the Union. And so where we have this thing where 11 states secede from the union. One story that kind of misses, gets missed is that part of one of those states seceded from the Confederacy and from its state to join, rejoin the union as a new state. And now we have two separate states, Virginia and West Virginia, which if you've ever wondered, why is there no East Virginia? It's because it's just Virginia. So, and I, I see that and it gives me hope because there's so many people that say, well, if we take all the blue states and they just secede from the red states, it's like, yeah, but there's large swaths of those states that are, would be red counties or would be, they're not going to go along with it. So it's mm -hmm. kind of gives me hope that if somebody thinks secession is a good idea, more than likely their state is going to be broken apart before the state really gets away. You know, I was, I was thinking about that because I know you and Jeff and I discussed this a little bit. Um, and, you know, how he talks about Texas and California be the two most likely to secede. Um, but I think Texas, you know, a reliably red state, but I think Trump won it, but what, he went by four points or so? It's close. So... That means there's 46% of the people in that state, roughly, that disagree with Donald Trump's policies. And same thing in California. While it's a, been a blue state since, I guess, since uh, Reagan. Reagan, right? He was probably him or W, uh, George H.W. were the last Republicans to win it. There's still, there's more Republicans that voted for Donald Trump in California than voted for him in any other state in the union. And right. it's like, 
this whole idea that like, well, it's a blue state or it's a red state. It's like, yeah. In, states in are going is, red or blue by like less than 10 points. Yeah, they're, they're close. All these, you know, a lot of these states that we assume are just in the tank for one candidate or the other are a lot closer than we would think. And to this idea that if we just seceded, that your state would be fine with that is, or, or big portions of your state would be fine with that, I think is inaccurate. Yeah, so, I agree. I, I that's mean, a good lesson that you bring up with, with West Virginia. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and I think it's interesting given that the, the terrain of the landscape really dictated obviously what people did mm -hmm. for a living and to Eric's point, it's it's not a coal mining is not typically something that was done by slaves. It's mountainous and it's small town and it's different kind of lifestyle as opposed to a plantation on mm -hmm. the coast. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the geography dictated a lot back then. Yeah, California has gone does, democratic since 1992. Before that, it was 1968 through 1988. It went Republican. Mm -hmm. That's wild. It's yeah. really wild. Huh. And Texas was, that was Lyndon Johnson's state, right? In the 60s, he he was the senator from Texas and when he joined Kennedy's administration and then obviously became president. So, brought, you know, this, this idea that, yeah, this idea that they're just one or the other, it's not totally accurate. And, and then you got a whole slew of perpetual swing states like, um, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, like that are always just, it's a hair's breadth between one or the other. Yeah. So anyway, that's interesting. That's a, as you said, it's a hopeful note, which is probably a great way to wrap this up and especially wrap up this year is on that sort of hopeful note is that. Listen, 2020 brought us a lot of issues 2020 also brought us dad bod history <laughs> so i'm not saying that we can salvage the whole thing here on this podcast out of the fire <laughs> out of the ashes the phoenix of dad of bod history really rises up. out there but yeah. just take solace in dad bod history we don't yeah. charge a dime for our services so our, our faithful dozens of listeners we're here Do, for dozen some days dozen but hey, uh, yeah whatever it takes all right well i think it's a great way to wrap it up you want to sign us off here sure uh this has been dad about history uh you know like subscribe comment share with your friends and enemies let's get a bunch of subscribers help us out uh however you want um but uh, yeah, it's been a blast. I'm Eric. I'm Jake. Cameron. See you next time. Cut.